Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangul. We recently held the Digiday Programmatic Marketing Summit in Estoril, Portugal. Next, I'm going to invite up Gavin Owen, who is Digital Strategy Director at Jellyfish. Um, he's going to be talking about in-housing, friend or foe, and he's a great uh, person to have this viewpoint because he's actually spent a lot of his career client-side. He's actually only just recently moved agency-side, so he can speak to both sides, um, which is an interesting perspective. So, Gavin? Good morning. Everyone's got a pen and paper in front of them. If I ask you to write down or define what programmatic is, and you don't need to write it down, everyone would probably have a different viewpoint. We constantly use this word programmatic, but there's not a dictionary definition for what it is. That definition may well have changed from where it was three months back in your organization to where it was a year back. If everyone also thinks, when was the first time you walked into a room and heard about what this thing programmatic is? For me personally, it was a career-defining moment. For some people, it is your everyday life, and for some people, it is what you do on an ad hoc basis. Now today, what I'm going to be doing is talking about the experiences I had in my previous life. So everything I'll talk about has been publicly quoted before. That's out of respect for the brands I worked for, and also for my own personal integrity. What I will do is put some color and skin around what has been stated before on the journeys of the organizations I've worked for around this topic of in-housing. So, a couple of quotes which we'll look at, and I'll just quickly go through them. In isolation, these quotes look bold. These quotes would have confused the industry. However, if I think about that very, very first meeting I walked into at Nestle with my media agency, the first meeting I had was actually to understand how TV was bought. Because for me, TV is what I grew up on. If you think how TV is planned, reach and frequency, it comes with a frequency cap. You're buying an audience. The price is the price. Normally for big brands, it's vetted by an ubiquity or an Accenture, so you know the price is right. It's planned with GRP points. You know in advance what spot times you're going to be buying to ultimately reach your target audience to drive purchase intent and brand recall. TV is, is still one of the most effective mechanisms to reach your target audience. Christmas 2017, Google and Amazon were the two, or one of the two, biggest TV spenders. Online brands using TV. That's interesting. Now, what I took away from that meeting was is that television is about reach and frequency. I can define my target audience, but the way my company bought TV would be different from the way other companies bought TV based off of their business objectives. Later on that day, I walked into a digital meeting, and there's approximately 75 suppliers on the list. Now, if we have any media planners in this room, I admire you if you know the ins and outs of those 75 different vendors that you're working with. That's very impressive. I was then thinking about that TV meeting I'd been in, and I said, so how do we manage the reach and frequency of these 75 vendors? And it's like, well, sometimes we first-party ad serve, then other times we third-party ad serve. 
okay, um, what websites am I actually appearing on? And it was like, we kind of buy this network where there's about 200 sites and here's some fancy logos, but we don't actually know what sites we're going on. I was like, okay, so talk to me about target audience. Who are we targeting? And I was kind of explained what we were doing. And I was like, how do you validate that audience? And, and I'm kind of sat there thinking, TV's getting more and more appealing. You know, I understand how TV's bought and planned. And this thing digital just seems to be a little bit murky, a bit wild west. I don't quite understand what's going on. And then someone said to me, um, programmatic media buying, do you know what that is? You're actually doing it. And I was like, no. But I actually went away and researched and found out what it meant. And I wrote up my own definition of programmatic at that point. And I remember going back into my business and talking to my group marketing director, John Lambert, every single day about this thing called programmatic. And eventually, he called me into his room and it's like, Gavin, explain to me what this is. I've read about it. It seems to be the future. You know, we understand that digital media is where consumers are engaging day in, day out. You're telling me we can actually almost buy digital media, like how we buy TV, manage our reach and frequency, understand where the adverts are going, and actually use a target audience. And I was like, yeah, I think we can actually, John, but we need to make some fundamental changes. Change number one. TV pricing was a given. So when Nestle ran a media pitch, it was all around the people, the processes, and the tools the agencies would use. Because immediately when I sat in a room with John, we actually wrote down people, process, and tools. Everything fundamentally fits around people, process, and tools. So in the pitch, we didn't talk about TV because the TV rates had been vetted by one of the media auditors. We knew we had good TV pricing. We wanted to understand what did the agency structure today and tomorrow look like? Where was video bought? Was it bought in the AV team? Or was it bought within the digital team? And there's someone at the back of the room chuckling because they're probably thinking, yeah, he was a smart kid back then three years back asking that question because often video was bought in the AV team. But it was digital video. So Nestle structured the relationship with its agencies around people, process, and tools with a digital-first approach. Ask your agencies for brands. You'll talk about transparency and murkiness, but ask your agencies for logins. It's amazing when you have a login, what you see. But if you have a login, understand and give the respect back to your agency and either upskill your knowledge or someone else's knowledge to understand what is in that platform. Understand what is exposed and not exposed in that platform. Things can be hidden in platforms. If you don't have logins to your ad server, if you don't have logins to your AdWords account, if you don't have logins to your demand-side platforms, I shrug my shoulders and I thank you, because you made my life easier back then. If I leave my agency tomorrow, what can I take with me? Data protection, data privacy. Again, if you don't own the software legally, that is not your data. That data is owned by the people who own that software. KitKat. Quite like a KitKat. Nice chocolate, goes well with a cup of tea. I don't know the recipe to KitKat. Someone in Nestle does. 
We don't give that recipe out, but every single day, brands are giving their data out. You don't need to own all of the software, but understand what parts of the software are important. And we heard yesterday from Duracell, is what parts of that technology stack are important. So that was about the tools. I want to spend more, but robots don't buy KitKat. You know what disappointed me yesterday was when we broke out into the three groups. Ad fraud, brand safety had the smallest attendance. GDPR, great big group. The world of ad tech, massive. All I hear day in, day out is brand safety. I read the trade press, everyone's talking about brand safety. Now, if your brands, and um, we heard from Group M yesterday, they spoke about digital accountability plans that brands now own. As an organization, if you do not have a document that explains how you operate in the world of digital, what are your brand safety mechanisms? How do you want them de deployed via your agency? The publisher, the demand-side platform and the supply-side platform, then you need those guidances in place. You need those strategies in place. You need to understand that ad fraud is massive, but you can control it. We heard yesterday about whitelists and blacklists. The very first whitelist I was given had 36,000 different sites on it. I asked the agency, could you get back to me when you've actually checked each of those sites? Still waiting. It'll take a long time to check 36,000 sites. Think about trust you in a consumer. When was the last time you guys went on 36,000 different websites? Collectively in this room, 80% of you will probably go on the same 10 to 15 websites. Fish where the fish are. Think how you buy TV, reach and frequency, high impact placements on the X Factor. Or I'm on website number 35,958 that has six people go to it each month. If you don't have the whitelist, if you've not vetted the whitelist, please do that. It's really important. A new kind of collaboration with Trinity Mirror opened up its first party data to Nestle. Quite simple. Go and talk to the publishers. People say to me, well, I'm too busy to talk to publishers. The people who manage your supply chains go and meet the people in the fields who actually grow the coffee beans and then pick them. If you, in the digital ecosystem, do not meet with publishers, that's a massive miss. I met with every single publisher I worked with within my top tier on a regular basis. Ben Sutherland at Diageo recently spoke about the media supply chain needs to be as good as Bailey's. Think about Bailey's. It's made from milk. Milk is produced by a cow. The cow eats the grass from a field that a farmer owns. Diageo know that entire supply chain. And what Ben was talking about was he wanted to put that rigor into his media buying. You need to go and find the farmer and talk to the farmer. How do you brief that publisher? There's publishers in the room who, when I meet, have to answer 60 questions in advance. I know everything about their ecosystem before I meet them. I need to understand what their mechanisms are, what their DNA is, and it actually then unlocks spend in a very, very collaborative manner. For example, with Trinity Mirror. Now, those comments, in co out of context,
Back then, people thought I was crazy, making these random comments each time I got up on stage. But everything actually linked back to people, process, and tools. It enabled Diageo, oh, sorry, Nestle at that point, a seat at the table, a three-legged store with their agency. We had the correct setup. We had the logins to platforms. We knew what was going on on a daily basis. We understood exactly where our ads were going through our whitelist. We understood who we're advertising with, and we actually met with those publishers. It was a three-legged stool. It worked very, very effectively. Is that in-housing or not? I shrug my shoulders. I don't know if that is in-housing or not, or if that's just talking to people in your supply chain. So people, process, and tools. But everyone, when you go back to your businesses, think about your people, process, and tools. Now, as we talk about operating models, typically, agency-owned, agency-operated. Agency-owned client involvement. I would say everyone in this room from client side is in-housing at this point, because you're in this room, you're leaning in, you're wanting to understand what's going on. You're asking the right questions. So actually, that is an element of in-housing. Really, really good. Client-owned, agency-serviced. And we'll come on to that later, and I'll discuss that in more detail. And then fully in-housing. We hear about the likes of Netflix and every other sentence when we talk about in-housing. Realistically, how many brands have in-housed the end-to-end -end process? Very, very few. Makes lots of noise. It gets people in a room when we start talking about in-housing. But again, in your organizations, define what in-housing means to you. You're leaning in already. You're understanding the questions. But you haven't actually yet in-housed the end-to-end -end process but you would already be seeing business benefits. Now, marketing fundamentally has not changed. Purchase intent, brand, brand recall, drives you know, engagement, loyalty, advocacy, which then drives the flywheel background. Marketing has not changed. But in your organizations, are the marketeers you work with, are they digital first? The average 22 to 25-year-old marketing exec, when I ask them, don't watch TV. What's the first thing that goes on a media plan? TV. But they just told me they don't watch TV. So how are you setting your businesses up to be digital first? How are the assets that you create digital first? How many people put a TV advert still today directly onto YouTube with the branding comes in after 20 seconds? If you actually own that YouTube channel, go into your YouTube analytics and actually look at how few people got to the point of the brand. Fundamental 101s. You don't need to in-house to drive analytics. Analytics is an interesting question. Every brand's got Google Analytics. Very few brands know how to use it. Google Analytics is essentially a mini DMP driving insights, building audiences, and pushing back out into your programmatic buying. You don't need a full-on DMP to drive insights. Every brand manager believes they know who their target consumer is. You can push your audiences into things like TGI. TGI then will come back with online audience information, real consumer insights. So how are you using your digital media spend today to drive consumer insights? 
Marketing has not changed. The way we as consumers engage with media has changed. So how are we future-proofing our businesses in the way we set up? Now, key trade-offs, and we can read this ourselves. Typically, we fall into financial, strategic, and operational when it comes to in-housing. And a couple of days back, I was with an organization, and we were brainstorming the pros and cons, as we can see. Financial, fee transparency. Operational transparency. I don't get operational transparency, because if you have an organizational chart of everyone who works in your agency, and they all have logins to the platforms, and you ask for the timesheets every week, then you would actually understand what's going on. So you've already got operational transparency if you've got the timesheets, you've got the logins, and you know who's actually working on your account, and you've cross-checked them on LinkedIn, and you actually know they're human. Incentive to perform. Okay, higher tech costs, yes, we'll address that. Resource is expensive. My wife loves my job now. She's very happy, because programmatic does pay. Good salaries. You know, Dom's here from Seven Stars. Dom knows when he hires an exec one year in. That's expensive. And, and Dom's nodding his head because this world is an expensive world. Resource costs. Try to find someone who actually wants to be an in-house programmatic exec in Northampton. You're not going to find them. The talent resides in the big towns. Most big brands are not based in big cities. Strategic. Support agnostic. Full-time staff. Data scientist for 38 hours a week, full-time. There'd be very, very few brands who could actually use a data scientist for 38 hours a week. What are they going to do for the rest of the time? Are you going to outsource them? Control data and usage. Absolutely fundamental to any brand. Control, understand, and, and use your data. Operational. Direct contract with vendors, we've spoken about that. Hard to retain and recruit and train the best staff, absolutely. Now, what we are going to do is we're going to dive into two areas. I'm going to look at technology and supply chain. Programmatic supply chain, we know it's complicated. We've got the buy and the sell side. Ultimately, um, publisher, we've got um, Time Inc, or rebranded to Meredith, I think. I want to give Time Inc a pound coin. Unfortunately, Time Inc., if they're lucky, is going to get 25p. Because there's lots of people in the middle. As a brand, you understand who these people are. The ad exchange, the publisher ad server, the advertiser ad server. When was the last time a brand met a supply-side platform? Very, 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 very rarely do brands understand what a supply-side platform is. Supply-side platforms are fascinating. That's where I actually invested a lot of my time. Because I understood I had to, again, in my supply chain management, go back to the source of the inventory. How did the auction catalogue, the SSP, get to the auctioneer's hammer, the demand-side platform? They're not registered charities. Of course, they're there to make money. How did they make money? How did their mechanisms work? How did the auction work? I wanted to return as much of that money back to Time Inc. as possible. So we interrogated the entire media supply chain. I would ask a publisher, which supply-side platform would you like me to use on this particular deal? Why would you like me to use that particular supply chain, uh, SSP? Is that due to costs, or is that due to operational efficiencies? If it was due to cost, we then would split the benefits. 
Has a brand ever asked a publisher what the SSP take rates are? Ask. There's publishers in the breakouts league. Walk up to a publisher and go, can you tell me what SSPs you use, and could you give me a ballpark on what those take rates are? Understand your operational supply chain. Demand-side platforms, we know they all have different technology fees. They all come with pros and cons. There are very, very few demand-side platforms that enable you to, both, to buy both video and display. Everyone says they can do everything. But as we heard yesterday, procurement, how, how procurement procuring the very best technology, or maybe not procuring with a contract, but understanding again how those pieces of software work. As we see, I've got a rough example here. Often, when a brand goes to a technology provider, that technology rate that the agency rightly holds due to the volume they put through significantly goes up because we're in a volume-based market. Procurement, we can't pay more. We've got to stay where we are. Because as we see on these rough calculations, by moving a technology fee from 8% to 14%, on, three million, uh, sorry, on, on $20 million uh, spend is another $1.39 million of additional non-working media costs. Pros, cons. I'm not here to say what the pros and cons are in your business. That's a challenge. So for the technology vendors, how are you going to overcome this in time to give full working rights to brands. Amazon have taken the ball by the horn. Amazon charge a flat 10% technology rate. It doesn't matter if you're WPP or Little Brand on page 62 of Local Cleaners in Crawley. You can both use that demand-side platform, and it's a 10% technology fee. Parity. Not all technology vendors offer parity. But they're knocking on your door, brands, every single day wanting to work with you. Understand technology and the fees and come up with clear, rational situations why organizations should be owning the keys to the car. Now, I touched on this, is ultimately the chief marketing officer in any organization wants to understand where their inventory is going. So operational resource transparency. So if we actually look here from the demand side platform, all the way through to the CMO, there's an awful lot of moving parts. By in-housing, most people think you strip all of that out of the way. Very, very simple. Your marketing exec is going to be pressing the keys to the demand-side platform. They can run straight off to the CMO and talk about operational efficiency. So when we start to look at operational plans, sadly, that's not the case. Here is what an org chart would look like within an organization. As we see, I've got onboarding specialists, media analysts, programmatic lead, programmatic strategy director, planning, often forgotten, key account lead. You know, it's a lot of people. A lot of people you've got to find in Northampton to come and work in your organization. A lot of cost you possibly have not considered before. Again, when you go back to your organizations, map out what would your in-house team look like, and then have your recruiters understand what the costs of that would be. This particular org chart here would cost in excess of probably 1.5 to 2 million pounds 
in just resource costs before you have them pay for the desk, the key card for the photocopier, and the entry into the building. So they're FTE. It's significant costs you need to invest in. But how much are you actually investing in digital media? These people are full-time employment. So if we think lots of brands are not always on, they have peaks. So as we see here, what happens for nine months of the year where you're not going full guns, but you've in-housed your team? What do they do? Play golf on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays? What do they do? But then, when you come up to the peak time at Christmas, you're now understaffed because you've got so many campaigns happening. They now have to work 24 hours a day. So how do you actually manage those peaks and troughs within your organization? In-housing sounds very appealing, but it's far easier to pick up the phone to your agency and say, we know we have an upcoming busy time. We've planned this with you. We know we have the resource who can come and work on this particular campaign. I'm not going to touch on this, but I think Amir from, Trinit uh, from, from Accenture is, are you planning for yourselves or are you planning for someone else? And Amir, I'd like you to pick up on that, is data privacy. Now, in conclusion, operational models, agency-owned, agency-operated, all the way through to in-house. Each and every person in this room is on a different journey. We've already heard from some fantastic speakers. You're already on that in-housing because you're already leaning in. Don't be afraid to ask the right questions. People, process, and tools. If you do not have access to your ad server, I suggest in the coffee break you ping your agencies going, can I please have a login to the platforms and list what you want? Key trade-offs. Okay. Nestle demonstrating leadership in digital. Everything I've presented so far is public information. And this, again, is public information that Nestle put out to its shareholders in 2016. You're thinking, Nestle, big company, lots of people working on programmatic. Gavin Owen, Nigel Conway, John Lambert, plus one or two individuals in market leaning in. So digital investment, over-invest in digital because we understand fish where the fish are. Significantly over-invested in programmatic, understood the media supply chain. Industry accountability, 100% of programmatic ads verified and analyzed. The vast majority of what the organization did globally was first-party ad served. We knew where that impression had landed. We had used the likes of Moat or Integral Ad Science. We had the whitelist. We knew where the inventory was appearing. Online video, 48% decrease in CPM, because we went directly to the publishers and said, what is your pricing with the agency in the room? We were no longer buying networks. If you are a brand-side marketeer, it's imperative you know the price of the inventory in the market you work in. It's imperative you know the difference between give me sports inventory compared to the mirror, compared to the mail online, compared to the FT. You need to know the pricing. Leveraging data, using smart data with Trinity Mirror, using the classified sections to understand when someone was looking to buy a kitten. Imperative for Purina. So many times people came into me selling advertising for Purina, and I'm like, where's the data to prove the person owns a cat? And they were like, well, there's no data. I'm like, okay, there's a bowl of cat food, eat it. So if you're not going to eat it, 
then that, that's useless data because I actually want to target people who own a cat. And finally, personalized advertising. We're going to touch on this, I think, with the guys from HSBC. Make your advertising relevant. TV is bought on audiences. Make it relevant. Everything I have done in my career has not involved me owning the software. I've not fully in-housed digital media. But if we go back to right at the start, where two, three years back, there was lots of random comments made by this guy, myself. They were all around people, process, and tools. And we were able to deliver the operational efficiencies for our shareholders by not fully in-housing. But we had a minority of the people in the organization who understood a media supply chain, understood how an SSP, what was the difference between Rubicon and Adex, and what were their take rates? What was the brand safety mechanism Spotex had in place? We understood the ins and outs. And you owe that to yourselves, your shareholders, or the private equity companies investing in your business today. If you tell me you don't have time, make time. You owe it to yourselves and your shareholders. Now, in conclusion, I started with always trust your inner consumer. Every single day, we make both conscious and subconscious buying decisions. Within in-housing, trust your inner consumer. Trust, trust what your gut is telling you. What is the right model? Work in a collaborative manner with your agencies. There is not an agency in this room who will not give you a login to a platform. There's not an agency in this room who will not explain what they're doing. Resource costs money. As we heard yesterday, to run a programmatic campaign takes far more time than to run an insertion order because the agency's having to do the end-to-end. -end. They're not just handing an insertion order off to a network who's actually put that resource markup into that fixed CPM. So in conclusion, I'm not going to take questions. I've asked the guys from DigiDay. Uh, we've got the eight-minute sessions this evening. I've got four gaps. If anyone, whether you are an SSP, a publisher, an agency, or a brand, wants to delve deeper into this, we've got the four slots, and I'm happy to have a very honest and frank conversation. So trust your inner consumer, and thank you very much. Thank you, Gavin. That was fantastic. Um, I just want to ask you a couple of questions, if that's okay. Um, one of the things, um, well, there was so much in that, but if you had to pinpoint with your client hat on um, the biggest thing at the moment that keeps you up at night, um, what would it be? Amir? Um, Amir's going to... I'm putting Amir on the spot. He works for Accenture Amir now. keeps you up at night. Amir keeps... <laughs> Accenture keep me up at night. No. Um, data. I'm just going to say tags on site and leave it at that, and I'd like Amir to pick up on that. Okay. That was very cryptic. Nothing more? Amir, I hope he's ready to pick up on that because uh, I'm interested in hearing the rest of that. Okay, in that case, thank you very thank much, you. Gavin. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, and I hope you did, then please share it forward. How you can do that is by rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you soon with another session.